Yeah, it's Cosmic Dragon episode 18. This is Sean Grigsby. Remember how DJs used to do that back in the day? Just drag out their name like that. This is Sean Grigsby and uh, Cosmic Dragon episode 18. And today we're talking to Alan Batchelder. We're talking about his books. He was a self-published author. Now he has signed with a publisher, Crossroad Press, which you'll hear about more in just a minute. But first, I want to talk about some of my books. The first one, of course, Smoke Eaters, came out back in March of 2018. The sequel is Ash Kickers. I am finishing up the edits on that right now. It is going to be released June 4th of 2019. And Daughters of Forgotten Light came out September 4th. That is Motorcycle Girl Gangs in Space. Lots of action. All women characters. Very 80s. It's awesome. Also, if you read science fiction magazines, literary magazines, Amazing Stories is back, if you didn't know. The very first science fiction magazine ever. The guy who founded it, that's who they named the Hugo Award after, Hugo Gernsback. So, I say all this because I have a story coming out in Amazing Stories. Should be out somewhere early 2019. I'll let you know all about it. Plus, I have a super secret project I'm working on that I can't tell you about. But stay tuned. Until then, this is my interview with Alan Batchelder. Kick it! Yeah. Yeah. Is Batchelder? Batchelder? Actually, Batchelder. Batchelder. Yes. Okay. It means the, uh, the young knight who stands by the door. Well, that'd be easy to remember because it's like a like if you're making elders, it's a batch of elder. Eh? Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and if I were Mormon, if I were Mormon, I'd be elder batch elder. Elder batch elder. But I'm, you know? I'm not. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, man. I'm going to leave that in because that's, that's awesome. Uh, and we're talking today about all kinds of stuff. But uh, your most recent book that you want to talk about is Steel, Blood, and Fire. Uh, I've read up on it. It is grimdark. The main yes. character is a real bastard. Uh, yes. And his name is Tarman Vikers or Vickers? Yes, that is correct. Which one? You got it right the first time. So Vikers. Yes. I kind of like that because the other one, you know, everybody says Vickers. And every time I hear Vicker, it's it's like some old period piece where it's like, oh, Susie ran off with a boyfriend. We must inform the Vicar. Uh, so Vikers. Okay. Tarman Vikers is a real bastard. What can you tell us about him? Um, you know, I, I, I grew up watching uh, Clint Eastwood spaghetti westerns and, and Bruce Lee movies. And uh, I just sort of wanted somebody who was uh, kind of an anti-hero who uh, wasn't any kind of a good guy voluntarily, uh, was more interested in doing what he wanted to do for his own reasons. And uh, the first book is, is standalone, but it's part of a uh, currently a four-book series that will round out five. And uh, as we learn more about him, um, he is actually kind of a pawn in a larger scheme that he is completely blind to. Um, in fact, I think that's hinted at in, in the opening lines of book one. But uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's a bad guy. And he's also joined by Long Pete, who is a former gigolo and jack of all trades. This is interesting. For one, I just noticed the name and uh, his former job. 
kind of go hand in hand. I'm, I'm assuming that's what you were going for. Uh, but or, uh, you know, hand in something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, he. <laughs> he. Uh, there's more to him than meets the eye, too. In, in the first book, he is sort of every man. Uh, he's he's kind of ridiculous, but he's the leader of this band of of completely ridiculous and desperate characters, um, sort of like the D&D reject party, um, where everyone rolls threes and fours instead <laughs> of uh, 18. Right. And so, uh, in, in that regard, I guess it's a little bit like Kings of the Wild, although um, Steel, Blood, and Fire actually came out in uh, 2013. So, um, there's, there's some similarities there in terms of uh, just the goofiness of the group. One guy actually ends up riding a goat um, because it's the only suitable mount he can find. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would think you'd walk or run faster than that. Well, he's an idiot. He's he literally they literally draft the village idiot into their little group um, for reasons that I, I don't want to divulge because he he has a he has a superpower. <laughs> Yeah. But it's not one that you would uh, ever think of. So Okay, uh, interesting. Goes, we'll keep that a secret. Yeah. Yeah. Long P. You know, I've I've I rarely read about uh, gigolos in any fiction, <laughs> but especially fantasy. Um, if anything, uh, I, I've maybe seen a couple characters that were uh, female uh, women. Uh, but th th what what made you want to? Uh, have that be his backstory. Where the idea come from? Well, so the the land they live in is is war torn, and it has been for for decades. And you know, so many of the able bodied men have been killed off, or else they've they've gone off to war and and not made it back yet. So there are all these widows and and lonely housewives and things. <laughs> Aha! He saw an opportunity. And yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, and he's a borderline thief and. Just sort of a, a scoundrel when we first meet him, um, but his uh, his tale is going to take an absolutely surprising turn um, in later books. So uh, every one of these characters has a major character arc that is kind of fulfilled in the first book. As I said, it's standalone, but also over the course of the five, they end up as we all do being completely different people uh, by the end of the thing. And the village idiot you were telling us about is Spurk Nesno, I'm guessing? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then the, what, now what is a mender? Is that basically like a blacksmith? Well, uh, no, uh, I, 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 I kind of wanted to play with a bunch of fantasy tropes and things. And, and I thought what, in this case, I thought, what would people actually call, um, uh, clerics or what would they actually call wizards uh, if they didn't have that vocabulary and um, so the the wizards in this part of the world are called shapers uh, because they shape magical energies into various different forms and the healers are actually called a shay which is an ancient word but uh, the menders is thrown in there as a an alternate label for my healers just to sort of balance out shapers so they're shapers and menders but most people call the healers something else 
Okay. Man, so all these people are lacking in some way. Uh, integrity, brains, yes. what have you. Yes. Okay. Yes. And th- this is already out. How many How many books in this series are out so far? You said, you said so the first four? There's four, yeah. And I'm working on the fifth and final one. They're, they're each about 140,000 words, so they're pretty big. They're hefty. <laughs> right. And uh, that's that's kind of what I wanted in some ways. I wanted something that was reminiscent of um, uh, the Odyssey or, or Beowulf or something. So it was this really epic story in scale and scope. Um, and uh, even the tiniest, most insignificant characters have a role in this larger-than-life story. What, what drew you to epic fantasy in the first place? Well, you know, uh, when I was a kid, um, you know, daddy's little boy, I would, I would try to impress him by reading his cast-offs, you know. So uh, he was really into Shakespeare, but also... Uh, you know, he would read all the Conan, the Barbarian books, and I would pick those up. And he read The Lord of the Rings, and then I would pick it up. I was just kind of reading it to be like him, but then I got really hooked, you know. Um, so I think that's that's part of it. Um, the Shakespeare is another part. That was that was what I wanted to be when when and if I grew up was a uh, Shakespearean actor, and and I was for a long time. Uh, ah, fellow then, theater uh, kid, huh? Yeah, yeah. I had a mortgage to pay and and stuff like that. So now I'm I'm teaching middle school. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Any desire to write for middle grade? Um, no. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I have I've been wanting to to my my ultimate dream uh, career goal, what have you, would be to write the next Goosebumps, like revive yeah. middle grade horror. But yeah, it's tough, you know. For one, I can't drop, it, well, no four-letter words. <laughs> right, and and actually, I found that kind of inhibiting because even though I I put a an age warning and recommendation on my book, um, I don't go all the way to eleven um, because I'm cognizant of the fact that I have a job and I want to keep my job. Right, and I don't want my students' parents to, you know. Um, but I flirt with that line. I, I do have some very, very dark moments and acts that happen. And there are things that I insinuate rather than spell out, uh, as graphically as, uh, Abercrombie might, for example, because I'm, I'm trying to hold down a job while I do this. Yeah. And you know, I'm all for being visceral. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times if it occurs off the page, sometimes depending on how you do it, it can be way more effective uh i'm thinking of i don't know if you've watched the ballad of buster scruggs on netflix no but i've been hearing awesome things oh, about it. i don't want to spoil it for anybody but the third one you don't see what happens but it's it's so implied and so obvious and the storytelling is done so well that holy shit um so the third one i'd, I'd watch the first two just to get yourself in a in a more upbeat mood because <laughs> once you yeah. hit the third story holy shit well yeah, but i i totally hear what you're saying i mean uh, i remember there was a jeff goldblum movie called mr frost or something where he was a serial killer and there's this one scene where he's uh somebody's watching a video of him killing a child and you don't see or really hear much of it at all all you see is the reaction of the person watching it and it's more horrific than 
anything they could actually show you. Because your own mind is conjuring images and what oh, yeah. you would think is the worst. And you know, that's right. well, that's very powerful. Je- Wait a minute. Jeff Goldblum played a serial killer? Something like that. The movie's called Mr. Frost, I think. Why have I never heard of this before? I'm going to yeah. write this down. Mr. Frost, it's- Jeff Goldblum. It's good. Uh, I mean, I, I remember enjoying it, but, but then I might have been under the influence of something. So, <laughs> uh, I, I might have been under the influence of Jeff Goldblum, who was really awesome in The Fly yeah, as well. And everything else he's been in. The only yeah. exception was there's this uh, video game back in the 90s, a Goosebumps game. It was called like Return to Horrorland or something, and it was live action video click and point game. And Jeff Goldblum yeah. played Dracula. <laughs> And it was, <laughs> oh man, and it was cringy as hell because he's sitting there dancing with this like middle grade girl who's like one of the main characters in the game and being all seductive and stuff. I'm like, y'all, no, it was horrible. Yeah. And it was Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I'm so, so envious of him too because he's turned all of his little personality quirks into a really enduring and fantastic career. You know, yeah, most actors pull that off. Jimmy Stewart did it. Humphrey Bogart did it, and. And Jeff Goldblum, but but most of us they train us to iron out all the things that make us unique, so right. that we can be more plastic. Right. I'd probably be more of a character actor than, than that whole just I'm just myself. I'm just playing this guy who also is like me, kind of thing. Well, well age does that too. When I started out, I was I was the average American, you know, 160 pounds, five. 10 or whatever and now i'm i'm you know the weird uncle next door and everything i audition for so <laughs> now <laughs> wh- where are you located are you in uh i'm in seattle seattle locally, locally i'm most famous for being the uh the adult tooth fairy there's a series of commercials with me in a tutu and a uh, tr and stuff it's, it was pretty humiliating but it gives me something to talk with the kids about so <laughs> That's awesome. So all the uh, Seattle folks listening, we're, we're speaking with the Tooth Fairy. Uh, Seattle yeah. is my wife. And it's it's our favorite city ever. Uh, we've oh. I've been there like three times in the last year and a half. Well, it's getting a little dicey now because of the national homeless crisis. But um, it, it is it is beautiful. I mean, with the mountains and and the salt water and from my street you can look both east and west and be surrounded by two different mountain ranges. And, uh, I mean, I, I love it. Uh, but you live in Arkansas. In Arkansas. Now, what is that like? <laughs> oh, you really want to know? I'll just I give you really some examples. Do. Okay. Well, for one, the weather changes so drastically and rapidly that, and it just like, I'm sure every state has this saying of, if you don't like the weather, just stay around for another 30 minutes, you know. Uh, but Seattle weather's awesome. It's just, it's the Washington. It, it's a perfect temperature. Maybe it's a little cool, but it's not too cold. Um, but here, like this morning, it was below freezing. Uh, a few days ago, it was in the 60s. Um, yeah, that sounds like Denver. Yeah, kind of. I'm sure Denver has worse winters than we do, but we... we mm. um, everything it's really poor a poor state um we're probably only above mississippi and lots of stuff the roads are terrible so once you but cross you make o- it sound really sexy i can see what? why you live there <laughs> it's also i also describe it as the bermuda triangle because once you move here just even though you say i'm just going to stay for a few months until i get you know wherever no you're stuck it's hell welcome to hell really yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't buy. Yeah, you must be. You must be there because your dollar goes farther or something. Well, it definitely does, and a lot of people actually retire here from, say, California, and they live like kings. They could be like considered uh, middle to upper middle class in California. Come here and be the richest people in the state. Um, it's wow. it's crazy. Uh, you can't buy alcohol on Sunday um, if you partake, uh, which is stupid. And they say it's not a religious thing, but we come on, y'all. We it's a religious Th- thing. That's when I do most of my drinking, though. I, I, I'm just like, yeah, most people, they get a weekend, and it's like Saturday yeah. or Sunday, you know? And if yeah. you, church is so much better when you're drunk, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the only way I would go. Yeah, me too. Uh, so that's just a little taste. It's, it's very Bible belty. It's very backward. It's uh, even cannabis. Uh, they, they, we voted and voted to legalize medical cannabis, which for the Southeast, we were the first state i think uh, but still they've sat on it and dragged their asses on it for so long that they have not even set up any dispensaries or anything yet i think they're finally going to do it next month uh to ex- start accepting applications it's just ridiculous well the tax dollars alone is, oh, is a major just, boost to the economy it would boost us so much and i don't know why people don't just drop their old tired ethics and Anyway, we're getting way off subject here, talking about the evils of Arkansas. <laughs> now, but, wait a second. I can't think of a per, of a book out there that wouldn't be better with a little, uh, you know what? Um, like a like what weed? Possibly. Oh, possibly. Or, I mean, I think or alcohol on a Sunday. I just I just think that sometimes. I mean, Hemingway wrote everything he ever wrote drunk, right? Yeah, I mean, look at Hunter S. Thompson as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've read his schedule, and it's just, I think he embellished a lot, because I don't think any human being could do that one no, time. I don't, I don't I do have some substance abuse and uh, some pretty comical substance abuse scenes in Steel, Blood, and Fire, though. But there are substances that aren't available in the real world, so I think I'm safe with the censors. I mean, come on. Yeah, everybody puts booze. That's the thing. Everybody puts booze in fantasy books and even science fiction. You know, the evil general is sitting there swirling his cognac or whatever the hell it is, uh, or they're in a tavern. But nobody ever talked. Well, actually, I read a book. Oh, was it Was it Nicholas Ames who put it in there? Anyway, they smoked like a, a weed, so it was basically yeah. pot, um, but it was like fantasy pot. Whatever that may have you. They need to also put uh, some mushrooms in some fantasy books. I mean, hell, it writes itself. I, I've got them. I've got oh, them. Oh, you do? They're called wild side mushrooms. Oh. Yeah. Like Motley Crue the wild side? Thing, yeah, they're definitely an option. <laughs> so you, you, you've been a self-published author. Up until recently, you recently signed yeah. with Crossroad Press, and we'll talk about that in a second. But what was the reason that you started off as a self-published author? Was it something that you just decided that yes, I want to do this first, or, or what, what happened? Well, you know, um, I had been writing other things for years, plays and screenplays, and uh, I, I just knew that it was impossible, you know, to get an agent, and that was. Uh, more time consuming than just writing the novel you know yeah um the process of hunting down an agent and trying the conventional route um i could use that time better writing and um i i'd been playing a lot of dungeons and dragons and a lot of writers do i've discovered like half of them do or more i'm like the rare one who has never yeah and i just thought to myself gosh i 
I'm a little tired of the the tropes in the game, and I'm a little tired of uh, the predictability of everything. I'm, I'm more into the narrative. I wanted to create my own universe and and some of my own races. Uh, and I didn't go the full Steven Erickson, um, but he's an archaeologist, and I think that it was a little easier for him. But I wanted to create my own everything. Uh, and, and my mom had just passed away, and I thought, you know, it's – it's time for me to get on with those, those bucket list items, you know? Yeah. Um, the time has come. If I'm going to do it, I'd better do it. And so the first one was really just for me, but then I started getting fans and they were hounding me. When's the next one? When's the next one? What's going to happen? And, you know, asking for spoilers and stuff. And then I would write a few friends into them and kill them off in gruesome, horrible ways. Um, and I even auctioned off a, a death at a charity auction one time where I killed a whole family. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, that's been fun. And, and I'd say I write as much for the reader now as I, as I do for myself. Right. Um, and then when I finish this series, the, the steampunk again is going to be for me and my son, just something that we can do together. And then the, the horror novel after that is just, you know, I grew up reading all of Stephen King, all of, um, Lovecraft, all of Poe, just really, really into horror. Uh, in, in some ways, I'm, I'm kind of like C.T. Phipps, but uh, not not quite as uh, prolific at the moment. Uh, but we have very similar tastes in that regard. Okay. I, I'm kind of the same way. I started off in horror. That's what I thought I was going to write. You know, I grew up on Goosebumps books, you're kind of loud. Um, and that's like the third Goosebumps reference uh, today. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I didn't want to, yeah, spend all that time looking for an agent and sending out queries uh, with a novel. And it looked, it was just this huge thing. Why do that? So I started in short stories. But see, my favorite uh, horror authors are like uh, Richard Lehman, um, Brian Keene, for sure. That whole, you know, I know they call it splatterpunk, but not all of it's splatterpunk, but close enough. What's the guy who wrote. Um the girl next door. Oh, the Jack Ketchum, who uh, recently yeah, died. Yeah, Jack, Jack Ketchum, Ketchum uh, will destroy you. You know, you read one of his books and you will never be the same. <laughs> yeah, and they gave him that real shitty cover for the girl next door with the yeah. skeleton cheerleader. What the hell was that yeah. about? Um, that had nothing to do with. But that that book, I, I hesitate to say it was a good book, but I think it was important in a weird way. Um, uh, very important. I, I think he went. Yeah, I think he went places that most of us would not have the courage to go, and and in the end, I just felt you know dirty for <laughs> for weeks and weeks, and and I felt horrible. Well, I mean that's what horror is. It's supposed to you know when people yes. say I read this book and it made me feel horrible. I said say that again. You read a horror novel and it made you feel horrible. Okay, yes. and you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean I do like fun in my horror. Don't get me wrong. Um, Comedy and horror go together like peanut butter and jelly or whatever. Peas and carrots. Yes. Uh, but if if something like Jack Ketchum stuff like moves you emotionally like that, mm, that's that's it's doing its job. Yes. So I agree. What uh, led you to sign with Crossroad Press, who I saw actually publish uh, the Stargate books as well, which I found interesting. I, I didn't know they did that. Well, so I I'm in a particular 
I think you're in the group too, actually, a Facebook group, and there are a lot of us in there. Uh, it's a private group, but we're in it. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're competitors, but we're also uh, colleagues and collaborators. And so uh, you mentioned Blackest Nights. Um, CT got me into Blackest Nights, and uh, he's read my book. And I, and I think he pointed me in the direction of, of Crossroad. And uh, I'm actually excited because... You know, I spend so much time self-marketing. And again, that takes away from writing. You know, I go home and sit in front of my computer and go, well, should I A, try to spread the word about the four books I have, or B, uh, try to make some progress on book five? Um, While I'm C, reading the works of my colleagues, (laughs) and D, doing some other things. So Right. uh, Oh, my laundry piles up all the time. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I had to make uh, three trips to the laundry yesterday just because it had been so long. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, you know, and you go, gosh, I didn't know I still had this shirt, you know? Yeah, I need to start taking some stuff to somewhere, get it out of my house. Yeah. I got you. Well, that's cool. So you're, what, what, the, the horror novel, what's, what's sold with them, I guess, is what my question. What, what's definitely coming out from Crossroad Press? Well, as far as I understand it, this this whole series of Immortal Treachery, that's the name of the five books in this series. And then beyond that, uh, you know, it's probably up to discussion and debate. Um, I'm already partway into the steampunk book, and my son is uh, an artist, illustrator, animator. So he's just going to draw some silly pictures of the the various characters through the book it'll it'll be more much more lighthearted and 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 silly kind of like a hitchhiker's guide maybe with pictures because um, i very much wanted to capture the language too of uh it's kind of pseudo dickensian or or some of that lovecraftian very melodramatic kind of I entreat you to believe me, dear reader. You know, that kind of... <laughs> right. So, uh, it's going to be silly. Um, and uh, I, don't, I don't know about the horror novel, but it's something I've, I've had in mind forever. So, I'm looking forward to that, too. Cool. So, we have a lot of people on here who uh, tell me about uh, their different ways of marketing and it sounds like you've had to do a lot of it and and been successful from what it sounds like so what have you found as far as getting the word out about your books what works best well uh for one thing it's a daily effort i mean i'm I'm not kidding about that (laughs) and and i have a presence on virtually every social platform you can think of and you know it can be tedious and there's not always something new to say but what i love to do is is supply uh, like on my Facebook page for my books, just related material. I have archaeological finds and weaponsmiths and horrible medieval diseases and things that are not that have nothing to do with my book per se, but are tangentially related. So if you're a person who likes fantasy, then you'll like to learn about beheadings. Or <laughs> if you're a right. person who likes fantasy, you'll love to read about the Black Plague. So I'm just trying to provide content for people to enjoy rather than always going buy my book buy my book buy my book yeah that's tough 
because you want to obviously get people to know about your book, but sure. I don't know the whole daily thing. I mean, I, it's I found though that if you're just if if I just be goofy and throw some random shit out there on the <laughs> internet that has nothing to do with my books, uh, or even slightly involved with my books, I've uh, I sold a book because I was making fun of the whole cocky gate thing. Yeah, uh, who, who they would have never bought a science fiction or fantasy book ever, and so. I was their gateway drug, I guess. <laughs> but I, I, it's tough though, because you try to you try to walk that tightrope, um, and at least I don't know. You, I guess what I'm saying is, you know when it's done wrong, because right. I hate when you add somebody on Facebook or Twitter and they instantly message you to like their author page or buy their book or you know, not just hey, how's it going? I'll, I, First of all, since we're talking about it, here's a rule, people. If you really do want to talk to this person about your book, don't do that first. Find out about them and find out what they write and get involved and interested in them. Because yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like you know trying to encourage someone to have sex with you. You know, you, you don't just walk <laughs> up at first blush and go, "Hey, it's let's go analogy. have sex." There's a seduction process that goes on. There's some subtlety involved. Yes. You know? Nobody's going to say yes if you just walk right up and. No, yeah. They, you know, no, they're not the kind of person you'd want to go to bed with. Right. I say down with literary catcalling or authorial catcalling. It's, 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 it's terrible. And then you'll never sell a book ever because you'll piss everybody off eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also hate on Twitter when you get spammed with the same book cover 600 times because somebody's bought every service you can buy and you just oh. constantly the same that doesn't make me more inclined to to read it in fact it probably makes me less inclined because i'm feeling bitter and hostile you know yeah because now you're annoyed you, you associate that image with a feeling of being annoyed or uncomfortable um, yeah and mm, yeah there's no there's nobody behind that image it's just uh a buy me button you know right on the other side if like like i shared the cover for uh, my recent book a lot and i kept feeling i was like god i feel like i'm just swarming the internet but then you share it another time and someone says oh why have i not heard about this book before and you're like what the hell have i been doing because <laughs> uh, you know there's a few people that see it all the time yeah, like, oh yeah. god not again try try being an eighth grade teacher you know, you know yeah. how many times you're going to answer the exact same question. Yes. Well, I'm a father of two, so I, I get it a little yeah. bit, but not on the mass scale that you probably do. Yeah. I'm a masochist. That's that's really what it comes down to. I guess. I, I, I substitute I taught for a little bit, and uh, no, never again. <laughs> yeah, I ridiculous. don't think there's anything more grimdark than teaching middle school. Yeah. well hey there you go now you have your next book and you can travel into the world of middle grade Uh, we're going to wrap things up I always ask my guests to tell me something that they have learned that they wish they knew back when they first started writing Uh, I wish that I had started uh, sooner I've always been a writer I've always written since I was a little boy but I wish I'd started putting my stuff out there for public consumption sooner. You know, there yeah. wasn't an Amazon back then. There wasn't a create space or any of that. But um, 
I, I, I think I would be a lot further along now and, and be a better writer and have a, a wider audience. And the other thing I would say is that, you know, there is an audience for everyone. You know, there's 8 billion people in the world. Right. <laughs> and people are going to click with what you you have to say or they're going to click with your perspective. And other people will never click no matter how wonderful you are. I mean, I, I just posted the other day, there's, there's over 600 one-star reviews of Hamlin on Amazon, you know. What? Uh, yeah, there's just there's just people who there's just people who are why not even, gonna like. Yeah. Why even waste your time? Were you well, so affected case, in high school? Did it piss you off that much? In, in some cases, people are nitpicking. They're like, these lines aren't numbered. I can't tell what line, you know. Oh, and, and you know, but uh, or there's not enough explicatory notes on the bottom of the page. Um, which just, you know, <laughs> go down to your local used bookstore and get a different copy for 10 cents. I wonder if anybody, I'm sure this has happened, if people have reviewed a book and like a paperback and said, the the feel of the book was cheap. Yeah, or it smelled <laughs> funny. Yeah, or not, oh, that's even worse. I could see that happening to where it's not even the content of the book. You just gave me a genius idea. I, mean, I should do a scratch and sniff Grimdark. <laughs> that's a perfect you know, idea and it can still and then and then it'll be middle grade and you just stay yeah. and that'll be a challenge you'll have to figure yeah, out you know where to there won't be anything explicitly inappropriate about it it'll just be the smell of sewage i mean you know what about orphans there's plenty of orphans in the grim dark fantasy world yes what about their story nobody ever writes about orphans well, I mean, actually, if you do, but, but they not, do, like, then the orphan comes, grows up. To yeah, be they the grow king. up, and f- fuck all that. No, I want to know what happened in the streets. I mean, Patrick Rothfuss spent five hundred pages w- without him ever making it to the magic school yet in the first uh, Name of the Wind book. Wait, has, so, he, <laughs> has he come up with the third one yet? No. Okay, I'm in good shape then. Because <laughs> I was cra- I was cranking them out about one a year, but this this final book is taking me like two, and people are going, "When the hell is it coming out?" And I'm going, "Well, look at George R. R. Martin and Patrick Rothfuss. I mean, yeah, all I have to do is get it out before I'm dead." Well, here's the thing: I like Patrick. I've met him uh, in Seattle at uh, last year's Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, great guy, and uh, obviously very successful and very popular. But I do not envy the his career route um i would rather write a whole shit ton of different books uh and and keep churning them out than than you i feel like one could i would anyway patrick probably is doing great but i would feel weighed down that i i was and stuck with this one series and that's just not the type of writer i am i can't i can't just write one series for the rest of my career the rest of my life i'd get no, so I bored agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I went off on a tangent there, and I love I love Patrick. I love his books, but that that's just not my thing. Um, but great advice. Uh, I can probably show you later. I took a picture of it. Uh, Daughters of Forgotten Light, the most recent book that came out of mine, has no zero on Amazon. No three star reviews. It's either five, four, two, or one, and it's split. It's it, it's like. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that before. That I'm going to look it up. That sounds kind of love strange. it, or yeah, people either love it or they hate it and hate it so much. Yeah. Uh, but I knew that going in writing it, I knew it was going to piss some people off. 
because they they That's probably okay, read though. something wrong into it. But hey, I'd rather cause some kind of emotion. Anyway, yeah. uh, well, what, just to go back over, uh, you are now signed with Crossroad Press. They are going to be publishing, uh, and I'm guessing they're they're going to be reprinting everything. Uh, yeah, keeping the covers, I would think, because the covers are awesome. I don't think that's anything that needs to be changed. Yeah, no, I think we're keeping the covers and just <clears throat> reformatting the inside a little bit, and uh, yeah, awesome. that's how. That's, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I don't know. So the first book in the Immortal Treachery series is Steel, Blood, and Fire. It's very grim, dark, and. Uh, Alan, thanks so much for coming on. It's Alan Batchelder, everybody. Go buy his books. Thank you very much. Cosmic Dragon is a Sean Grigsby production. If you would like to support this podcast, just keep listening. Tell your friends. And tell your mom.